Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Code Vine for December 1st, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, exciting show tonight. Um, here in about 20 minutes, Brandy Travis of Predict It is going to join us. We've had John Aristotle Phillips of Predict It on before, um, but Brandy's going to join us um, from the same organization. We're going to talk about some of the um, political prediction markets, which they're kind of interesting in that people, when they start putting their money on the line, don't necessarily put their heart on the line, and um, they go more with their head or their gut. So it kind of gives a, a unique piece to throw in sometimes with the polls and everything else to look at. Um, but that's coming up in just a little bit, and one that I guess they could have had a prediction market on, but there it would be resolving pretty heavily towards one candidate would be the Georgia U.S. Senate uh, open seat appointment that's got to come up before the end of this month. Uh, but all indications from the reporting last week is that uh, Governor Brian Kemp has made his choice, and it is Atlanta businesswoman Kelly Loeffler. Um Catherine, we talked about Ms. Loeffler last week because it looked like that was going to be the case. Now, all the reporting is saying that that, that she's going to get the seat, uh, initial appointment, um, and the incumbency if she chooses to run, which we assume she would next year in the um, open primary. Uh, what do you think of this selection and of her as a U.S. senator, I guess, for the next uh, roughly 11 months to a year? Um, you know, she doesn't have any experience in elected office. She's uh, kind of a cipher. You know, we don't really know. We know she has donated to Republicans and Democrats in the past. She seems to be interested in um, gun safety and gun reform, which is a little bit odd for our, you know, Georgia GOP. Um, but I, I find it all – I mean, I just think it's a curious situation considering that this is the, not the candidate that it seems that the, you know, overarching Republicans want him to pick. And there must be some – there must be something going on. He mu- She must have made some commitment to some of these Republican values or something in order to be – I mean, I understand why he – wants to pick a a woman, a, a younger woman, um, because it's good for his um, image. It's, it's good for the party to, for the in the suburbs and um, moderate the moderate Republicans. But I think the diehard Republicans are not happy about it. I've seen some of the emails that have gone around, and they're not happy. Yes. Tim, now, um, back in the summer of uh, 
2018, there were two candidates. There was an establishment Republican that, you know, talked about, you know, what he had done with technical education and, you know, guiding state government. There's another guy in a pickup truck with a shotgun and dynamite and everything else running an anti-establishment um, primary uh, campaign. And he's the one that won. And he's the one that got to make this pick. This pick looks like a Casey Cagle pick, not a primary Brian Kemp pick, does it? Well, that's true. And, uh, you know, the a lot of what's going on now and a lot of the side story that's going on now is we can trace it directly back to the summer of 2018 and a especially July 18th, one week before the primary runoff between Kemp and Cagle. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, here comes Donald Trump. He didn't let nobody know it, of course, and he endorsed Kemp. And you know, Kemp was not the pick of the Republican establishment uh Governor Deal was all behind Cagle, and uh, outside of a couple of things Kemp has done very early uh, with, with abortion and the like, uh, he has governed more as a Casey Cagle type, and I really think that is driven by polling and by de- demographics that are changing all of a sudden very rapidly. Catherine mentioned um, moderate women, and especially college-educated women, and mm-hmm. they are going to be very, very important in upcoming races like in the 6th District and like in statewide races um, people like Karen Handel in that district, and then in statewide races, and Republicans have literally been hemorrhaging those voters. This move here has to be a move to try to draw some of those voters back and maybe even appeal to minorities, because uh, how many Republican uh, governors have appointed females to not just the U.S. Senate in Georgia, but much of anything lately. So, uh, uh, yeah, he is governing more, I think, like a Kegel would than what he presented himself to be in the primaries, which makes me think maybe he really wasn't what he presented himself to be in the primaries. He just did that to move to the right of Kegel and win the nomination. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I mean, obviously, it's better for the Republican Party long term for them to expand um, their base, which is, you know, very white male centric. Um, but it, it's also not how they've been winning. You know, in 2012, they were told, you know, got to expand our base. We, we're we're too white. We're too male. And then they doubled down on that in 2016, and they. Um, it was a winning formula for them. Um, and then a lot of other states, even in 2018, and some Senate seats. 
that same old formula was a winning uh, formula for him. So it'd be interesting to see. Now let's talk about um, Kelly Loeffler just as a, a, a what we know about her and a candidate. Um, she has kind of a business background. Um, I don't see other than Catherine's done the research where there's some you know things with gun safety and whatnot. It's not like she's done a lot of philanthropic things. There's no um, record of public service. So she's very much a blank slate. Now, one of the few things I heard was, oh, she can self-fund. Although I looked at you know her LinkedIn resume and, and the fact that she co-owns the Atlanta Dream. That's not the Atlanta Hawks or the Atlanta Falcons or what have you. Um, do we really know that she can truly self-fund in a race that's going to be millions and millions of dollars? Um Catherine, what do you think about that aspect about her being able to self-fund? Is that like a, a done deal, or could she throw a little, you know, startup money in? I don't. I haven't really looked at her um, financial background. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think her work with um, the Atlanta Dream is just a part of what she does. She's also the CEO of another company. I can't remember what. Yes. It is. And uh, how much money does that company um, make? Is what I wonder. I mean. Yeah. And I don't know if, she, if her husband is wealthy or if she has family money or something like that. I don't know. I haven't really examined that. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of that, I looked at her bio and her co-owner's bio, who's also a, a woman. Um, and her bio, the other co-owner, and I wish I knew the name, she talked about her and her husband, things they've done. They got married out of college and blah, blah, blah. And there's a little p- family piece. You know, kind of about her family, which most people do that, male or female. I mean, they'll talk about their family. Kelly Loeffler didn't put that in there for whatever reason. Um, I thought that was interesting because so there's really like not as much known about her. I'm sure Brian Kemp and his his advisors know about her, but as far as the um, Georgia voters, there's a lot to be introduced, um, and, and that can be good or bad. Um, there. There is one little thing in her bow that's going to become a very, very major thing politically. It's not about how much money she's got or anything like that. But as you know, and I'm sure it's true in every major city in the world, business people often sit on boards, you know, just, you know, because they're, they're the ones that are asked to do so like hospital boards, for instance. In this particular instance, Kelly Loeffler sits on the board of Grady Hospital, right? Well, every anti-abortion group out there is in total opposition to her because she sits on that board. One of of those groups, how did they put it? And this is going to make y'all chuckle. They said that Grady Hospital is an abortionist training hub, whatever that is supposed to mean. I don't think they've done any any uh, abortions at Grady Hospital in like over a decade or something. But they are everyone lined up dead set against her, and that is going to cause a political nightmare. For Governor Kemp, that well, that was just something also, that flew out, and, and Catherine might know more about this than I do. She might have heard something about it, but that 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 is brewing right now. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about that, but um, there I saw uh, – I should have forwarded this to you. Um, I saw an email today from some – oh, I get this was from the Atlanta Tea Party talking uh-huh. about how the WNBA has been in a partnership with Planned Parenthood and, you know, a piece of um, ticket sales for a certain period had gone to Planned Parenthood and some other – um, organization, you know, progressive organizations, and uh, I think this was before. Well, I don't, I don't remember the timing, but so they were, you know, all over Slossler about that, and uh, so yeah, I think he's got some. Kemp has some barriers that he's going to have to overcome around this, but uh. also, yeah. also David. Um, Hannity had Collins on his show recently, and he took a little sideways shot at Loeffler about being, quote, an abortionist or or, or something like that. They're going to use this as a major attack line. You mark my words, and don't you think that would cause a huge headache for the Georgia Republican Party? Oh, I definitely think it will because, as we know, uh, usually the governor controls the state party apparatus. That means that even though they may not be able to officially endorse a candidate or this or that, they're going to be wanting to support you know, the governor's choice who runs in this primary. Now, let's talk about this. She, she gets in the Senate um, in January when um, Johnny Isaacson resigns takes the oath of office. Let's just say she is this person that was on the board of Grady, which means she's probably not in, uh, scared of urban hospitals. I don't know that we could read any, anything else into it. She owns the Atlanta Dream, so therefore she she sees the value in, in, in girls playing sports and women playing sports later on. Um, some things that are, you know, you know, mildly progressive. She She had an affinity towards Tom Harkin and Christopher Dodd, and other Democrats. So she is more moderate. She's to the left of Doug Collins and to the left of Tom Graves and to the left of David Perdue. Um, But she knows she's got this primary, this open primary race coming up in which she's going to have to defeat one or more Republicans, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. How does she govern? Does she govern like, hey, I'll try to be more moderate and see if I can bring people – you know that are that, that are starting to leave the Republican Party back to us, or does she get scared that she doesn't want to be out tea partied uh, by Doug Collins or another figure or figures, and then vote you know ninety nine per point nine percent of the time with you know whatever uber conservative interest? Um, what do you think, Catherine? That's the, I think that's the question. Right. That's and that must be the question that um, Brian Kemp is asking himself. And um, and you know, I don't think we know until you know she could she could say that she's going to do she's going to you know oh yeah I'll be a loyal you know Trump supporter Trump Trump voter. But I think it's hard when you've never been in office before, right? She doesn't have any experience. She gets there, and these bills start coming, and it, it, and she has to go 
either against her natural tendencies or she, you know, learns more about some of these policies and this legislation and she finds it very difficult to vote against her tendencies. So I think it's going to be uh, hard for her and hard for Kemp to make these decisions. Yeah, and I think and hard she for picks. The, and, and hard for the for the voters to decide to. Yeah, and I think after she puts her hand on and takes the oath, um, you know, Kemp's essentially done with this thing. He's kind of got a big job that has, has a lot of responsibility on its own. I don't think he can call up and and try to, you know, force her one way or the other. Um, David Perdue's probably more likely to do that. Um, Tim, now you can answer that question too, but I'm going to give you another question as well. Politically, what would be smarter for her to do? To continue to um, try to be maybe more moderate, not just in the way she might appear, but the way she actually governs, or would she be better off or fearful and try to um, move as far to the right as she can ahead of that primary? Politically, I think the hope is, and the smart political money would dictate that she do the following. Essentially be a female version of Johnny Isaacson. Vote the party line on practically every issue, especially those that are going to be close votes that they need her on. She might could run, uh, run off the reservation on some milder, less controversial stuff every once in a while. But on the major stuff, vote the party line uh, and, and then do like Johnny Isaacson does in public. He presented himself always as a reasonable man, uh, the face of moderation, uh, never stirring waves, never causing uh, wild controversy, that sort of thing. And I think that is the total political hope. I don't know if she'll do it that way, but the smart betting money would say she needs to do it that way. Yeah, we'll see. Um, here's now. Let's get into this next part of this discussion. And I'm not sure how far we'll get into it. We'll do what we can. Um, let's say you know Sean Hannity. Others are angry that and, you know all these folks, the, the Tea Party folks and the uh, anti-abortion groups and everybody else, um, the gun rights gr- groups. They're you know on it too. They're all mad at this pick, and they're going to back whomever. Is it just Doug Collins, or could it be Doug Collins and others that run in this primary uh, against Kelly Loeffler to kind of run to her right and hope that the Republican Party in Georgia is just as conservative as somebody can get? Catherine? Uh, that's, that's the going to be the interesting uh Dynamic, especially it depends on who the Democrats end up uh, putting forward. It's it's all going to be very uh, dicey, honestly. Yeah, and, and, and Catherine, we'll come back and to she's that. Got no and no political experience. 
Yes, and that's why it's a blank slate. Well, we'll come back to that and who the Democrats might nominate after we speak to our guest. I want to welcome in for the first time to the Kudzu Vine, Miss Brandy Travis. Welcome, Brandy. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you on the Kudzu Vine. Well, Brandy, first off, we've had your boss, uh, your colleague at Predict It, on uh, at least twice, I believe, John Aristotle Phillips. Just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to predict it, what you, your involvement with politics has been, what have you. Yeah, so I have um, I worked on the Hill for a bit, and I worked in politics in the U.K. for a little bit. And it started with Aristotle, which is the, the company that services predict it, about 10 years ago. And was with the company with Predict It when we launched in 2014. Wow! So you've been through the whole journey. The whole thing, yeah. It's been an exciting ride. Yes. Well, um, you know, there's so many things to talk about on this, but uh, let's kind of get into some of these betting markets. And I'm going to ask about the first one. I'm going to pass it to uh, Tim and Catherine after that. And that is the um, who will win the Democratic presidential nomination. Uh, no one really has a substantial lead. I, th- I think Joe Biden is uh, number one right now with uh, 25 cents for yes. But just in the last hour, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren have flip-flopped twice just in the past hour. Uh, tell us about what's been going on with that market. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty close race at this point. We've got Biden, like you said, at, 20, at uh, 25% likelihood. And Warren's right behind him. Warren and Buttigieg are both at 19%, and Sanders is at 18%. And, you know, um, this is one of those markets that we we constantly have activity on and will continue to have that going into 2020 all the way up until we know who the nominee is. And, you know, Bloomberg, that market has only been up, you know, a couple of weeks, and he's already at 12 cents. So I think depending on what happens there, he could rise a little bit too. Yes. Well, just following this market over the past several months, um, has anything kind of surprised you? Like I I didn't see that coming with the way the um, people in the market uh, choose to place their money. No, I, you know, it's, um, we've seen, it's been pretty consistent. You know, we have these, uh, these bumps here and there for Buttigieg and, and from, we had a um, a drop for Sanders for a while, and he's back up. Um, I think the probably one of the most surprising things recently is how quickly uh, Bloomberg got up to twelve to twelve percent. Mm. Yes. Oh, one final question on this market before I move it over to uh, Tim and then Catherine. Um, Hillary Clinton, last time's nominee, she's actually higher than Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, Cory Booker, I mean, all these known senators and and governors, Deval Patrick, that are actually in the race. Uh, Why do you think she's actually registering five times what um, some of those folks are registering? (laughs) I think, you know, I think that's probably because people just anticipate her running at some point. And then there was the whole um, explosion in the news probably three or four weeks or I guess maybe a month or so ago now. with people thinking that she's going to run. I think that's always going to be in the back of people's minds. Um, but that's, of course, that's speculation. I can't say what the, what the traders are actually thinking, but yeah, she's, she's at five cents right now, which is uh, equates to 5%. Uh, 
likelihood of getting the nomination. And that's she actually dropped a cent in the past day. Yes. All right, well, I'm going to pass this over to uh, Tim, then Catherine, and they may come back to me for something else. Tim? Oh, good evening, Miss Travis. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I, I know you probably uh, look at long-term trends a lot in, in your line of work um, as far as the betting action would go. Is there a certain amount of time that actually constitutes a long-term trend as you see it? No, and it all really depends on what the market, how long the market is too, because, you know, we've got these markets. A lot of our markets are only, you know, a week long or a month Uh long, but we've got these longer-term markets that are, um, you know, maybe we launch at the beginning of the year and it it could be a two-year long market. You know, we've mm-hmm. got right now, we've got about um, 260 to 70 markets, and, and half of those are um, expiring at the end of the year. Um, and in terms of long-term trends, um, you know, we, we see these – it's a little bit different than what you're seeing on the polls. You know, in the polls, you'll see these great spikes when something happens in the news, and oftentimes you won't see that on prediction markets. It's pretty mm-hmm. steady, and – I think traders are smart enough to know that, you know, while something may happen in the news, it may, it may, might not equate to what's going to ultimately happen in the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the markets I wanted to ask you about, actually, I, I think you have three different lines going on this person, and that would be Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, of course, he's the longest-serving prime minister of Israel. And I was looking at your site. On one line, it says that 90% of your bettors think he will be prime minister at the end of the year. On the very Mm -hmm. next line, it says that 61% of your bettors think he will be surely indicted, and 61% say new elections will be called. So uh, does that seem like something of a disconnect with betters expressing great confidence in the prime minister's survival in one question, and I guess two-thirds of them betting on him not surviving in the other two um, questions. What what do you read into that about his future? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe the traders know something we don't. But, um, you know, I think that, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually not sure what the, why there is a discrepancy. And sometimes you'll get that depending on how long the market's been up and how many people are actually, how many traders are active in those markets. But, yeah, there's a, with, um, the traders are thinking that he's going to be prime minister by the end of the year with a 93% likelihood. I mean, that's, that's really high. Um, mm-hmm. and, and with the elections being called early, it, that's that's not necessarily saying that Netanyahu is going to win, but they're saying there's a 63% likelihood of of the elections being called early, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, so do you find that this sort of back and forth is is, is like common on predicted when multiple questions are asked about the same person? Not oftentimes it's they may be similar questions. But they're asked in a different way. One example of that is, you know, we've got the um, who's going to be the presidential winner. Well, right now, 
Trump is at 40, a 45% likelihood of, of taking that. But it's, we have so many other, other people on the Democratic side. So once that, once those people are, once it's down to two people, I think those numbers are going to change drastically because when it's, we also have a market up that says which party is going to win the presidency, and that has the Democrats taking it at 55% likelihood. Mm-hmm. So with you know Trump winning at 45% likelihood and the Dems winning at 55% likelihood, that's obviously a discrepancy. But there's all, it's also the other question still has all of the other Democratic candidates in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question, and it's about um, something going on overseas, and that'll pretty much lead to. I'm going to leave Catherine to try to go through all of the Democratic uh, presidential (laughs) campaign and stuff with you. But I'm interested in Brexit, and you have a background, you know, in the U.K. What's the betting action like on the fate of Brexit and of the prime minister? (laughs) So we have a market for a no-deal Brexit in 2019 – it's at a 97% likelihood that there'll be there that there'll be a no deal Brexit in 2019. Hmm. Um, you know that's 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 extremely high. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I you know that yeah. And then you know we've got we've got several markets on this, and our traders love trading on it. Uh, we've got we've got the um, conservative seats won in the UK election, and there there was a breakdown of that, those numbers. I won't bore you with all of those, but we see an extremely high mm-hmm. amount of volume on those um, on those markets. And, that, and we did right at the very beginning when we first posted our first Brexit market. Um, and the same goes with the Grexit market. Um, and the Grexit one, we actually got right when everyone else got it wrong. So I think our traders are a little bit more um, worldly, I think, than a lot of people um, would maybe give them credit for and, and are actually pretty accurate in these. Yeah, but the long and short of it is your your betters are pretty much stating emphatically that there's not going to be much smooth sailing in Great Britain in the near future. Is that pretty much the yeah, size of it? Yeah, I think that's exactly what they're saying. Wow. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Catherine. Catherine? Hey, thanks so much for being on here. I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving this past week and that you're all ready for the short break between now and Christmas. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I, I have to be honest, this whole, um, this whole thing is kind of confusing to me. <laughs> so I wonder if you could just quickly sort of break down how this betting and um, prediction works for our listeners because I think it's a little like I've you know I've talked to uh, people from Predictive we've had them on before and I'm still a little bit confused by the process so if you could just take a couple you know just a couple sentences to sort of outline how it works so our listeners better understand it would that be possible sure yeah absolutely so we are a political prediction market a real money prediction market. We're the only one in the U.S. And um, and Predicted is a place where you can actually put real money behind what you think is going to happen in real political events. Um, And so we have everything from political, um, from 
political elections to um, Trump administration or any administration, uh, Congress markets, um, Supreme Court markets, and um, political markets outside uh, international markets, such as the Netanyahu ones and, and Brexit ones and several other ones. Um, so basically what you do is you put your you deposit money and then you, it works very similar to a stock market um, or binary options where you, there's, a, there's a yes or no for every market and you put your money behind what you think is actually going to happen. And the, the really cool thing about prediction markets versus polling is historically they've been significantly more accurate than polling which is really interesting to people right now, I think, um, when it's really hard to determine what's going to happen and, and it's hard to predict what's going to happen in elections. Okay, that's great. Thank you. That's really helpful. So now I'm going to ask you uh, about your – so you said it's much more reliable. So how, do we, how, how did you do, like, in 2018 with the midterm elections? How, how did the – market perform or do you not look at that? Do you look at that data? We do. We do. And and we're actually predicted as part of a, it's a research project. So we have about 90 universities who get a live feed of our data and are studying it constantly to learn the behaviors of people. And, and if people are, if the traders are accurate, if the market's accurate and, um, and, and sort of see why people behave the way that they do. Um, and in 2018, we were a lot of our markets were right. Um, we had a few that were um, incorrect. But what we've seen historically, um, even in 2016, um, is <laughs> in, in while it sounds a little funny to say this, but we are typically more right. Even if we're wrong, we're typically more right than polling. Um, I so, yeah, I you know, like in 2000, it, it sounds weird, yeah. it, it makes sense. Well, okay. yeah, so, you what know, you... in 2016, we had, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, in 2016, you know, we did have it wrong with Trump winning, but we had a, his likelihood of winning much higher than most, I think, pretty much every poll out there. Yeah, well, we were all surprised on, on that November night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone um, was. So right now, what do you? What are the most? Is the presidential primary, Democratic primary, the most active thing going on, or is there are there other things that are really active and and kind of uh, interesting? What do you? What What are you like looking at most frequently for? You know, like what what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. So the markets with the most action right now um, are the Democratic nominee markets, the impeachment markets. And then um, anything, and then of course um, anything to do with the Democratic um, nomination market. So we've got, so like I said, we have about 266 active markets, and we've been around since 2014. And one of the most highly requested markets we've ever gotten and gotten requested is, will the Democrats have a brokered convention? <laughs> And what, what I find it interesting that that's our most requested market, but it, it has been, and the likelihood is at 31% likelihood. Oh. Well, so, that's and better we get than a lot I expected. Of <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's really interesting that, I mean, it is a big topic of conversation among 
my uh, friends, but I didn't expect it to be so popular uh, across the board. So that's really interesting. I I guess maybe something that people are concerned about. So that's really interesting. Well, I'm going to pass it back to David. Thank you so much for clarifying some of this stuff for for me and for our listeners. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yes. Um, Well, Brandy, uh, talk about the impeachment markets. I know that there's multiples of those. Um, which one of those do you find kind of the most interesting to watch? Because, I mean, there's so many, you know, tied to certain dates and how many charges, but which one's really a good gauge to look at? Well, so we've got, I think the, the three biggest data points are that the, we've got a market asking if he's going to be impeached in the first term, and he's at a 78% likelihood of being impeached in the first term. You know, I think that's interesting because, you know, I think most people would expect it to be even higher than that, probably in the 90s. Um, you know, I don't know if, if people think, if our traders are thinking that maybe there isn't enough evidence to actually impeach him or that, you know, some of the members won't agree to do it, that maybe there'll be backlash. I, I don't know, you know, again, what the traders are thinking, but, you know, in my opinion, 78 cents sounds a little low. Um, but I do think it's interesting, and that's a that's a market that gets a ton of action. Um, we also have a market asking if he's going to be impeached in um, 2019, you know, by December 31st, and he's only at a 44% likelihood, and and I think that's probably right. Um, and then only a 12% likelihood of being convicted um, in the Senate. Yes. Well, one final question before you go, and and that's the. 2020 Democratic vice presidential nomination. Um, very interesting. Uh, Stacey Abrams, the current leader on the betting markets, but my thinking would be it really depends on who the presidential nominee is. Um, so far in this market, kind of what have been the trends? You know, so that market is, and that's one of those markets, like I was talking about earlier, where it's really hard to get any real gauge on this being so early in the game. And I think, you know, I think once we, once we see, um, once we see what he's going to be the democratic nominee, I think we're going to see have that one's going to be a lot more interesting. But one of the things that we keep seeing on that, I think that people really are thinking that there's going to be the, the um, VP nominee is going to be a woman. Or, and we've got the uh, uh, that's at a 60% likelihood. Yeah. Uh, assuming that Elizabeth Warren or another uh, woman candidate was not the the presidential nominee. Um, so I guess exactly. that's kind of where it gets tied together. Well, um, Brandy, this has been really informative. Before you go, um, I, I wanted to give you the chance to either tell people where they can get involved and predict it, and if you have mm-hmm. social media with Predicted or non-predictive things, uh, predicted things you'd like to share. Go ahead and do that right now. Yeah. So if you would like to trade on predictive, it's predictive. P R E D I C T I T dot org, and you can go and make a deposit. And we are also on Twitter at predictive. Yes. Well, Brandy, thanks so much for coming on, and we'll continue to kind of follow it. It's just another, like you use, data point along with polls and other information. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Brandy Travis of Predict It. Uh, Always good to have somebody on from there because they just really have a lot of interesting things and uh, a ton of political knowledge uh, that underpins that site and sometimes ask questions that um, on their markets that just some people don't think about all the time. Uh, just another good place to look and check, and, and could be a fun way if you could figure it out. A lot of like these data metric and cyber metric folks with sports, I guess some folks can make a little money as well. Um, but let's get back to our discussion. And Catherine, I kind of kind of had to uh, pull get a certain point where we could get Brandy's interview in, and we were discussing um, this nomination process for Georgia Senate and what. Um, you know, Doug Collins and other Republicans, if they decide to get in, might do to that race. Kind of pick up where you left off. Um, I can hardly remember what I was saying. Um, it can I'm, be a new I'm, thought. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like distracted. Um, well, I th- I think. We're just going to have to – a lot of this is just going to be a wait and see, don't you think? I mean, I think whoever the Democrats run is going to have an impact on – you know, if we end up running a woman, then it's going to be a different race. Um, If we end up running a black woman, it's going to be a different race. If we end up with a, you know, know, like Matt Lieberman, um, that's going to be a different race. I mean, that would be – kind of an interesting um, contrast. You know, you've got two two people that have no political electoral experience. I mean, Lieberman has it, you know, in his, in his family, but not direct. So I, I think it's going to be, it's all going to be very interesting as, as Kemp. I mean, I think the most interesting thing now is with all this brouhaha around Loeffler, is Kemp going to really pick her yeah um i that would be interesting if he did not pick her um i tell you what i'll go ahead and tell you what i think's kind of kind of happened i do think doug collins is going to run i don't know that anybody substantial i mean i think you'll get your you know Derek grayson's of the world that always kind of jump in but but as far as substantial to her right i think it may just be collins and i think collins is going to defeat her I think it's going to be Collins and the top Democratic oh. nominee are going to be the runoff. And the runoff, I think Doug Collins will effectively primary her. I think this is the Republican pri- uh, playbook. Somebody says, oh, I'm a good conservative, and then somebody just goes to the right of that, and they become the shiny new object, and they win. I, I mean, this has happened so many times in Republican circles and uh, Georgia Republicans um, are, are more cut from that cloth than the average Georgia voter is. So this is really going to be two races going on at once. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit here. There was a headline this <laughs> week in the paper. Uh, it said, Brian Kemp paints himself into a corner. But uh, there's the understatement of the year politically in Georgia, isn't it? Is there anyone out there who, who's surprised? I mean, D- 
Doug Collins has let it be known early that he desires that seat for himself, and Donald Trump supports Doug Collins. And obviously, because of his endorsement of Kemp in July of 2018, Trump thinks Kemp owes him his political career, even though I kind of doubt that because I believe that when Trump endorsed him, Kemp was probably already 20 points ahead of Casey Cagle, whose campaign by that time was imploding. But we know Donald Trump is going to take credit. You know, if there's any credit to be gotten, Donald Trump's going to take it for himself. And then there's this meeting that Kemp thought it was a good idea to have with Trump that, that we've heard all about and where Kemp apparently took Miss Loeffler to the meeting to introduce her to Trump. And Trump's reply to Kemp basically was, uh, well, if you've already made your mind up, why are we having this meeting? So it don't <laughs> sound to me like that meeting went very well. So Kemp has a problem. Um What does he do? Um, supporters of, of Collins are mounting this last-minute campaign to pressure the governor to appoint him. You know, we've t- we talked about Sean Hannity, all these anti-abortion groups, uh, all these uh, uber-conservative people that are going to be supporting Trump and Collins. And, and, and so Kemp finds himself in a place where he can either, A, pick his preferred candidate, and publicly defy Donald Trump, and that's what it'll be perceived as, or B, he can be viewed as being forced to pick someone he doesn't want to pick if he should, say, pick Collins, and then he would appear to be weak and basically a bootlicker for Trump. And then there is a third option that hasn't been mentioned but probably needs to be, He could do neither of the above and appoint a placeholder for the seat and say, well, let's let the voters decide who the senators should be, and that would probably please no one. So I have a question, (laughs) uh, David and Catherine. What did Kemp expect to happen with Donald Trump? This is the way Donald Trump operates. Uh, he was more than happy to accept Trump's endorsement. There's, there's a price that comes with that. Um, and, and and he's paying that price with Donald Trump. Now, and Donald Trump is not going to forget this if if it gets in his mind that Kemp is crossing him. And I just don't think he's going to let this go if he looks at it in that way, I, I don't care if Kemp appoints the woman and she's a wonderful senator. Uh, uh, he, he's not going to forget this, and, and Collins is not going to let this go. This is going to be a story. It's going to keep being a story, and it's going it's to keep being in the paper. Somebody said this. Somebody did that. Or am I just reading way too much into all of this? Well, you make a really good point, too, that it puts Loeffler, a, you know, inexperienced political person, 
in a very awkward position if she if yeah. she does select her. Because then yeah. she gets to Washington and she's persona non grata with Trump and then probably all the other Republicans who have been friends with Doug Collins. So uh-huh. it's, it's pretty uh, – it's not very uh, – not a very pleasant situation for her either. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, I would think. Yeah, and so, David, have I over-dramatized this, or do you see all of what I said happening? Well, it, it, the trick is, is, is you know, the, the reports are she's the pick. I, I mean, now – He's kind of let it get out if he changes his mind. I thought that presents a whole new problem. So I kind of think she's the pick. I mean, I think the reporting was good. I think he's already kind of the toughest part of that. That was, you know, disappointing dear leader when he went up to Washington and he and he stuck those guns apparently. Um, so therefore, he, he's taken the tough medicine, and so now he just needs to. Um, Stay resolute with it, because of course, if he kind of, if there's even reports that he's waffling, that's going to hurt her. And then if she loses, um, you know, that's going to be a negative. So that's another thing to kind of think about. Um, now we kind of <laughs> get to the other half of this. How did the Democrats play this? To, to, um, do, is Matt Lieberman the only candidate, or have there been other candidates who are waiting to run? And now, you know, to, based on who the nominee was, now they know the nominee or the or the preferred nominee, if you will, and do they decide yes or do they decide, oh, no, that's what I feared, uh, I can't win, and they say no, or do they jump in the seat against Purdue? I mean, how does this all play out? Catherine, have you heard any, um, you know, um, any word that somebody I, may get in or out? I have not. Um, okay, Tim. You know that I, I'm not that I'm not that keyed in at this moment. So I, there may be rumors that I haven't heard. Well, well, see, I I I'm a little perplexed that Lieberman's the only name out there. It would seem to me, with all this going on now with Collins, all the unsettled stuff with Trump sticking his two cents in. Uh, these headlines, Brian Kemp paints himself into a corner like the Kobayashi Maru with no no uh, no win scenario. It would seem to me like <laughs> it would be a lot more appealing for a named Democrat to jump in this race and probably blow right by Lieberman for the nomination than to go up against. Democratic heavyweights over in the other race for the opportunity to go up against an in, an entrenched incumbent, you know, by the name of David Perdue, who has a whole term behind him, uh, has already made something of a name for himself in Washington, and in my book right now would be tougher to beat than an appointed senator that's probably going to be a big a bit wounded by this whole process. Do, do, do y'all well, see that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a little bit mysterious, but there's still time. David? Yeah. I, there's only, I, only one per, there's only one person, and it's not like there's yeah. been this big ramp up and all the, you know, all these candidates, and now someone enters. It's just Matt Lieberman and, you know, 
Hardly yeah, but else all those people in the other race, why don't one of them come over? There's big-name people over there. David? Yeah, one would think, although I guess maybe they think a straight-on shot with, um, you know, David Perdue's better. Now, and it's real interesting, you know, like, um, even though they're going to be running a different race, it seems like, you know, Kelly is going to steal a little bit of the um, – you know, angle that maybe a Teresa Tomlinson or a um, uh, Sarah Riggs Amico had, and that they're all women. Um, now, this race really is pretty white. There's not a lot of people of color in this race, so that may lend itself to. Since he passed over, you know, out of seemingly three African American nominees that he's considered, um, they all got passed over. But- Could an African American looking at this race decide to run? In the open seat, um, to but, kind of but, be a contrast, but. and you know Matt Lieberman doesn't seem like the eight hundred pound gorilla in this race either. But, Jim? but you said it yourself. There's a better than even chance that whoever our nominee is is not going to be facing Loeffler. Going to be facing Collins. That is a whole different planet of a ball game there. That presents opportunities that a race against her would never present. Isn't that true? Oh, that's true, and it's how these uh, candidates see this race. Do they say, oh, well, it's going to be Doug Collins, and um, you know we can beat oh. him because I think she would be much tougher to beat in a one-on-one matchup and than you know, Doug Collins. What do you think, I, Catherine? Well, I think it's important to remember that it's going to be a jungle primary, right? Yes. It is. So, so you know, maybe maybe Democrats are afraid of, I mean, it would be a great change in uh, attitude for people to say, well, let's just keep one candidate because then we have a better chance of actually getting a nominee. I mean, this would be very unlike Georgia Democrats. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of the hesitancy, is that they don't want to be in a jungle primary. Yeah. I mean, they just, there's too many unknowns. I think a lot of people just smartly said, we're going to wait until we see who he picks. Now they know who the pick is. They also have this dynamic of, uh, Doug Collins is going to get in and make this a very nasty um, uh, primary on that side of it, if you will. You know, odds are both Kelly Knopfler and Doug Collins don't make the runoff, just like if a, two more Democrats or another Democrat got in the race. It's not like two of them are going to make the runoff. It's most likely going to be one of each party um, unless mm-hmm. something really crazy happens. One Democrat with a name, with a big name, and and to me that name is not Lieberman, could be the no. Democrat in that runoff. Loeffler and Collins, even if other Republicans are, or whatnot, they are going to really split the Republican vote up, I, I think, pretty closely. And there's not going to be two. There's no chance for two Republicans to be in that runoff. I still no. say the opportunity is golden 
for a named Democrat to get in that race, even one that is so far committed to the other race, to just switch over, and and there they would be in a much better position. But, you know, nobody pays me to think that for them. And so <laughs> good, good, good luck to them and their advisors on coming up what, to me, is is an obvious thing to do. Yeah, I mean, we will see, you know, as this race fleshes out. Um, Catherine, do you think the official pick will be this week, or is it going to be, you know, right up to after Christmas um, at the very last minute? I don't know. I, I can't. I do not have a clue as to how Brian Kemp's mind works. Um, I would say it's probably smart for him to wait as long as he can. Maybe let some of this um, brouhaha die down a little bit and then make the announcement. Yeah, I mean that, and I don't know how much that plays into it. What do you think, Tim? You think it's going to be like yeah, this week? And I, just I, I, I tell you, the sooner, the sooner he makes the pick, the better, because I believe the longer he waits, the more Collins and his supporters turn up the heat. Also, Trump just cannot keep his thumbs off of the Twitter button at 3 a.m. in the bathroom. That's true. He just can't do it. Eventually, if everybody else is talking, he's going to talk, especially if Collins and his supporters are talking, or if Sean Hannity, who already has been talking, is talking. No, you know what? If Kemp's going to do it, Go on and do it right now. I don't. I don't know what he's waiting on. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would too. I'd go ahead and do, if I've decided, I'd move on with it because the, the yep. cat's out of the bag. It's not a secret. Yep. Well, um, guys, tonight one topic, one guest, but um, a comprehensive show on those two things. Okay. Till next week. It's been the Cudsy Vine. Night, y'all. Good night, guys. Night, everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and 